Welcome to the Deep End of Public Education. My name is Kristen Grubbs, and I hope you're ready for a loaded episode, as I'll be sharing with you an update on the issue of inappropriate books that are available in the libraries of my local school district. I'll save the details for the swim, so let's take a deep breath and dive on in to the deep end of public education. For those of you who may not have listened to the last few episodes, in January of this year, I filed complaints with my local school district over 89 books I found to be available to students in our school libraries. Most of them were at the high school level, but a handful were also found in middle schools. These books are not the classic books argued over for decades, like To Kill a Mockingbird or Huckleberry Finn. These are books with sexually explicit language or even imagery. In the state of Missouri, it is illegal to knowingly furnish books with sexually graphic imagery, whether printed or written, to minors. There's a big debate over what is considered pornographic for minors, even when one considers the legal definition, but we'll get more into that later. As it currently stands, 55 books have completed the initial stage of review, which is done by committee. This committee is selected by administration and includes a mix of community members, district employees, even students with parental consent. My district created over two dozen committees of five people each, save one group that had seven members. Each committee read and reviewed a couple of books over two months. When the committees were done making their decisions as to whether to retain or remove a book, they submitted their decisions to the superintendent and I received a packet of letters, one letter for each of the 55 books. Four of those books were initially removed from the libraries for reasons unrelated to their questionable content. Three of them were removed due to low circulation rate and their content being deemed outdated. The fourth book was removed due to inaccurate information. I inquired with the superintendent about what this meant. He replied, saying that the book which was a memoir about an author's experience being raped when she was 18, had been found to be inaccurate because the man the author accused of raping her had since been exonerated. More on this later. The other 51 books included only 50 different titles, as one title was both literal form and graphic novel form. Of those 50 different titles, I decided to appeal the committee's decisions on 45 of them. I wrote a letter of appeal and included excerpts from each of the books I was appealing along with some comments as to why I was appealing them. Interestingly, in the 51 letters of retention, every single one stated, quote, The team discussed the book and determined it is an important piece of work that should be accessible to interested high school students. The team determined the material did not fit the definition of pornography as written in Missouri Revised Statute Section 573.01, Section 14. Because the author's intent was not to arouse, cause sexual excitement, and the material, taken as a whole, has literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. Based on Professional reviews and discussions, the committee feels this book is an appropriate title for our high school libraries. The team reviewed the board policy and felt that, in accordance with board policy and procedure, it is more appropriate for an individual parent or guardian to visit with their student about the types of library materials they wish to have their student check out than to remove this book from the library collection. End quote. There are a few things I'd like to point out in these excerpts from the letters. One, 
author's intent is never mentioned in Missouri law regarding what's considered pornographic for minors. Two, the letters say the team deemed these books appropriate titles for high school libraries, but three of the 45 books I appealed are still accessible in middle schools in my district. The committee reviews and decisions did nothing to remove the books from the middle schools. Three, the committees determined that it's more appropriate for parents to be on defense guarding their kids' library checkouts than to actually remove the books and fill those spaces with healthier and more appropriate books. Let's for a moment return to the letter of the law so we can be clear moving forward. Missouri Revised Statute 573.04 states, a person commits the offense of furnishing pornographic material to minors if, knowing of its content and character, he or she furnishes any material pornographic for minors, knowing that the person to whom it is furnished is a minor, or acting in reckless disregard of the likelihood that such person is a minor. To be more specific about the terminology, 573.01 section 14 defines pornographic for minors as any material or performance if the following apply. A, the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the material or performance taken as a whole has a tendency to cater or appeal to the prurient interest of minors. And B, the material or performance depicts or describes nudity, sexual conduct, the condition of human genitals when in a state of sexual stimulation or arousal, or sadomasochistic abuse in a way which is patently offensive to the average person applying contemporary adult community standards with respect to what is suitable for minors. And C. The material or performance taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. Mind you, all three of these criteria must be met for a book to be considered pornographic for minors. If we put the first one to test, an example of this criteria being met was when a speaker at our January board meeting read an excerpt from a book retained in our district over a year prior and had his mic cut off and he was escorted out of the room by police officers. Parents and community members have raised their voices in response to the incident. Some are happy that he's exposing the explicit materials, some mad that he tried to read such content in a school board meeting, and some who think the material is okay to have in libraries, but not to read in a public school board meeting. I'd say the reactions from the community definitely prove that the average person would say the material caters or appeals to the sexual interest of minors. Considering the second and third criteria, I find it interesting that the committees only remarked that the books do not fit the definition of what's pornographic for minors because, quote, the material taken as a whole has literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors, end quote. You'll notice the committees didn't say that the books didn't contain nudity, sexual conduct, and such. That must mean that the criteria was met and the books do contain such sexual content. I'm curious what literary, artistic, political, or scientific value these committees see in these books to deem them valuable enough to not remove from school libraries and risk being charged with a misdemeanor for furnishing them to minors. In each of these letters, the superintendent also informed me that the school board would be considering revision to policy KLB and procedure KLB-AP, which outlines the complaint and review process for materials in the district. 
On May 4th, just six weeks after the committees made their decisions, the school board had a work session during which they discussed possible revisions to the policy and procedure. They also discussed the appeals submitted and how they might address such a large number of books when they're required by policy to read each book. There were several ideas submitted to the board by the library media department for consideration on how to revise policy KLB and procedure KLBAP. One question brought up in discussion was the intended purpose of the policy. The head librarian from one of our high schools even remarked that, quote, our policy really reflected that it was intended to be if a parent has a concern about something that a student brought home from the library, end quote. Let me read you what policy KLB actually says. The Board of Education has the ultimate responsibility for establishing the curriculum and for purchasing instructional, media, and library materials to be used for the district. However, the Board recognizes that its authority to remove or censor materials because of ideological or religious content may be limited pursuant to the state and federal law. The board encourages community input and comments regarding the district's instruction media and library materials. The superintendent or designee will create procedures to efficiently address community member questions or concerns and to provide for an adequate review of the materials if necessary. That's the actual wording of the policy itself. There is an extension to the policy, which is KLBAP. This is the administrative procedure that details how the review process is to occur. Here's the introductory explanation. It is necessary to have an orderly procedure that will assure a fair hearing to those who have objections and that will provide for a thorough investigation of disputed materials. The process described below is intended to assure that carefully considered judgments are made in response to criticism or objections. There is nothing in the policy itself that implicates the intention being for parents of students who access or are exposed to objectionable materials. None of the policy's wording even suggests that the complainant must be a parent. I'll read the first of the ten steps, then summarize the rest. 1. The complainant shall be directed to the staff member responsible for the use of material. The staff member shall explain to the complainant the school selection procedure, criteria, and qualification of those persons selecting the material. The staff member shall also explain the intended educational objectives of the objected material and additional information regarding its use or refer the complaining party to someone who can identify and explain the use of the material. All complainants shall be reported immediately to the building principal who shall maintain a written record of contacts with the complainant. Review of questioned materials should be treated objectively. It then says that if the person making the objection to material is not satisfied with the initial explanation, they can fill out a complaint form for reconsideration of the material. This form is to be forwarded to the building principal. It goes on to say the building principal will forward the request to the superintendent or designee. This is where some board members have taken issue with my complaint submissions. The claim was made during the work session that I skipped the initial phase of contacting the librarian. I did, in fact, contact a librarian about a graphic novel-style book on Friday, September 9, 2022, around 2 p.m. I got an email back on Monday, September 12, at noon. 
The librarian stated that he was not seeing that book as available in the online catalog, and he proceeded to share with me how and why books are weeded out of the library. The acronym used for weeding books is MUSTY. It stands for misleading, ugly, this means worn or damaged beyond mending or rebinding, superseded by a new edition or better book on the subject, trivial, no discernible literary or scientific merit, irrelevant to the needs and interests of the library patrons, and elsewhere, the material may be obtained expeditiously through interlibrary loan, digital resources, or the public library. The book I was inquiring about was a year and a half old, and it was about sex, all the gory details with drawings depicting body parts, sexual activities, and other supporting imagery. Which one of those items would this current book on the topic of sex in a high school library meet so that it's removed from the library? Was it misleading? Was it ugly or damaged? Had it already been superseded by a newer edition? Was the information in it trivial or irrelevant? Could it be found more readily at the public library or online? When I questioned this lack of information as to why the book was removed, the librarian responded, telling me that books are constantly added and removed from the library, and those that are removed are sent to auction in bulk lots to regain some district funds. I then responded with a list of 21 other titles that I'd found in our school libraries, some graphic novels, most literary works, but all include sexually graphic scenes. He referred me to the online catalog, saying that if the title was showing in the online catalog as available, then it is indeed available. Funny how that wasn't the case for the book I initially inquired about. I find it interesting that it conveniently disappeared after I brought attention to it. Considering that email exchange, I decided to file complaints for the many books I found to be inappropriate and possibly in violation of Missouri law directly with the superintendent. After all, my children are no longer in the district for me to direct complaint forms to their principals, and the books I was submitting complaints over were in several different schools. Either way, the complaint forms were forwarded to the superintendent, so I saw it fit to send them directly to him. Thankfully, the superintendent backed up the approach I took, noting the same reasons I just shared. Once the complaint is submitted, a committee is formed for each book, or in this case, each committee reviewed a couple books. Their decisions are submitted to the superintendent and letters are mailed to the complainant. If the complainant is not satisfied with the committee's decisions, then they can submit an appeal to the superintendent. At that point, the school board is then responsible for reading and reviewing the books. Decisions made by the, by the board are final. Currently, in my district, 45 books are under appeal and 34 books are in committee review right now. The board and library media specialists submitted ideas of adding deadlines to the policy, giving complainants a limited amount of time to submit appeals if they so desire, and limiting how soon a book can be submitted for reconsideration after it's already gone through the review process. These ideas have been discussed by the school board and will be voted on at this week's meeting, so I'll save any further comment on policy revisions until I know what the board decides. Diving deeper into the appeals, there are some other concerns I'm going to share with you about discussion my board had at the early May meeting. A board member and our board president had much to say about how I, the complainant, had not read the entirety of each of the books. 
I have actually read a handful of them, but their disgust seems to be with the idea that I could judge a book by a few excerpts. In fact, the board president even said, quote, I'm not supportive of wasting our time as a board when the individuals that are having complaints are not wasting their time, or I wouldn't go far enough to say wasting their time, but taking the time to read the book that is so offensive. So I am not supportive of any appeal if you're not willing to read the book yourself, end quote. Let me give you a few analogies to illustrate how one must not be required to read the entire book to have their complaint heard. The community member that spoke up in January's board meeting, reading straight from the book retained in our district in December of 2021, had his mic cut after quoting barely eight words, none of which were profane, despite the then-board president's claim. In less than eight words, she determined his speech was inappropriate. She didn't allow him to complete his allotted three minutes, and she had him removed from the boardroom. If a guest speaker was allowed to come into the school and speak to the students about their life experiences and achievements, but occasionally expose their genitalia to the students, do you think the speaker would be allowed to continue their storytelling? Do you think they'd be allowed back in the building? How is this any different from the books under review? Interestingly, in our school libraries, our staff shares with our students a document called Your Rights and Responsibilities as a Reader, which includes the right to abandon a book. If students are taught they have the right to stop reading a book, then how come complainants who submit a request for a book to be reviewed are lambasted for not having read the entire book? Why would I, as a parent and community member, not have the right to stop reading when the book makes me uncomfortable? Why should I be expected to read the entire book just to have my concerns heard by my school board? At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that one of the books that had been removed from the libraries was pulled because of inaccurate information. It was a book about the author's rape experience when she was 18 years old. Then it follows her life in the aftermath of the traumatic event. The first 16 pages or so held several pages of the horrific and violent rape. I could barely make it through reading that one scene, but I muscled through, considering children as young as 14 had access to the book in our school library. I don't think I'll ever forget that scene, as it's played vividly in my head multiple times since I read it. If that's how I, as a 42-year-old woman who's been married for 21 years and birthed four children feels after reading it, I cannot imagine the impression it would make on a young teenager. Why would my complaint over such an horrific scene be ignored? To give more context about its removal, what happened is the person whom the author accused in the book of raping her had been found guilty, served 16 years in prison, had been released, and lived for over 21 years on the sex offender registry. Then, in late November of 2021, DNA evidence exonerated him and he was removed from the sex offender registry. The book's author and publisher apologized for the inaccurate information and the book stopped print. One of my district school board members asked the librarian at the podium about this book and whether it would eventually have been weeded from the library because of these newfound facts, or if the book review process sped up that removal. The librarian responded, saying the librarians are constantly going through books regularly, section by section in the libraries, and they for sure would have pulled that book the next time they were filtering through books in the section of the library where it is shelved. 
Here's the interesting thing I found, though. The book stopped print in December of 2021, yet the book was still available in my district in January of this year. That's over a year since it was no longer in print. If the librarians are constantly going through books, filtering hundreds of them in and out of their collections weekly, then how in the world did that book get ignored for over a year? How come no one noticed? Perhaps the review process would was exactly what was necessary to get it removed, even if it wasn't because of the content. You may be wondering why. Why all this? Why the drama? Why the in-your-face, over-the-top approach to having this issue addressed? Why, as one board member called it, the abuse of policy? The board president had this to say in response to the large number of appeals. Quote, if there's something wrong with the process, then bring that concern to the board and allow us to be able to review the policies and be able to see if there's changes that need to be made. And then, if there's processes that need to be changed, we give those directives to the superintendent and we allow him to make those, tidy up those processes, so that not only is our job able to focus on what we should be focused on, but also so that the community feel that they're being heard and also that things are done decently and in order. Little does he realize that's exactly what I'm doing. I saw a concern. I heard concerns from others who felt ignored. I did my research and I found a route forward that would bring attention to the policy and practices, or lack thereof, that need addressed. If I had simply sent an email to the board, like many other parents did, asking them what the district is doing about the inappropriate materials available in our libraries, and asking how they're getting there in the first place, I most likely would have been met with the same response from other parents who did exactly that, which was to be ignored. I chose a different path forward. At this time, community members have no say in what's on the agenda at board meetings. I chose a path forward that would demand attention be given to the issue. I chose to follow district policy and seek change. It's now in the hand of the school board. I'm curious to see what they decide at this week's meeting and in the coming months with the other 34 books under review by committee. Thank you for bearing with me for this extra long episode. I appreciate your patience and open ears. This seems to be one of the deeper areas in the pool of public education, but it's one that needs explored and addressed. Be sure to like and share this episode so others can follow along on this journey of discovery and debate over such a hot topic. I hope you choose to follow my podcast by subscribing and telling other concerned parents and community members about it so they too can be informed, equipped, and prepared should this battle arise in their school district. If you haven't gotten a copy of my book called Deep End of Public Education, you can find it in the link in the description of this podcast. And you can always find more information on my Facebook page at Deep End of Public Education. If you aren't on Facebook but would like to follow me, I'm working on building a presence on other social media platforms. You can find me at Deep End Pub Ed on Twitter, Deep End of Public Education on Truth Social, and YouTube. Thank you all for diving in with me today. I hope you'll be back soon for another swim in the deep end of public education. God bless.